Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. Good evening, everyone. Uh, this is certainly an auspicious evening. Um, we're going to... Um, I don't even know what the right... It's not induct, because David's been a teacher here ever since the first day he came. So um, we're, we're formally accepting Do, uh, David as our uh, new Dhamma teacher tonight. <coughs> um, but those that have been coming to class for the past few years know that David's been a Dhamma teacher since... Really, since day one. I think I said that twice, but it, it's... Uh, it can use the emphasis. The, he, and I didn't plan this sutta for David's um, ceremony tonight. It just happened to work out. Uh, but this this particular sutta is really the essence of David's uh, understanding. His He very quickly developed meditation, jhana, um, and then very quickly applied it in the way it's meant to, meaning incorporating the Eightfold Path, uh, but also using that deepening concentration um, to not pick up things that aren't part of the Dhamma. That, that's just as important as developing the Dhamma. And, um, that's been something that's been rather remarkable <coughs> to David. Uh, David didn't, didn't have any type of, I believe, any type of Buddhist practice or any terribly religious life. Um, and so he was free of that burden, of that type of conditioning. Uh, and as, as he progressed, he, he has this, this keen ability to listen, not just to his teacher, um, but to each and every... I've not, I looked at David as much as I can see when other people are talking, and he has this incredibly mindful presence that every good Dhamma teacher needs. Uh, but he can pick out these little nuances in, in what people are saying, even newcomers, and reflect it back to them in a way that is... He, he says it in a way that's both personal to him, but meaningful to whoever's listening. He says it in a very simple way. Uh, so I'm really excited about uh, adding David to our uh, our auspicious teaching uh, ranks. Uh, I'm really looking forward to his teaching tonight. Uh, but before we uh, we officially let David in, uh, I'd like our teachers to just say a few brief words, very brief words. Uh, let's start with Matt. Please. Thank you, David. Thank you, John. Good to see everybody. Seen some friends I haven't seen in a while. It's good to be here. Um, well, I'll try not to make this too long, but I think, you know, when David first came to class, I think we all thought, I thought, he's he's seeing something in, in his wife and his sisters-in-law that has, is going, hey, this, this is interesting stuff. What, what's going on over here? And his curiosity got the best of him, and brought him to class and ever since then um, it's really been a constant opening and unfolding and deepening of practice and it's been a real treat to watch a real treat to get to know you as a Sangha member as you know a brother and, and a fellow teacher now um, like John said, you didn't have anything that was in the way. And 
so you were able to really go into it mm -hmm. and as you developed your practice and really saw what maybe you saw with Mary and your sister-in-laws that you became even more dedicated and more committed to practicing the Dhamma as it was taught. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I've just been inspired by you and your practice since you got here. So welcome, brother. Thank you. Kevin? David, great to see you. Um, nice to see everybody here again. Yes, so it, it has been a real treat to get to know you as a friend and, and, uh, and a teacher and a Sangha member. And, and I would uh, sort of also add that, you know, your persistence and your effort has been clear since day one. And that's, that's inspired me. And, and I know, I think the rest of the Sangha, you, you um, are very honest and transparent and you've explained that, you know, initially you wanted to just swim as far as you can and, and take this all in and read as much as you can and you had a lot of time to do that and then you said well you know I need to sort of let this you know take its own path or its own timeline and, and that was really amazing to hear because we've probably all been there and wanted to you know ramp up our Dhamma practice or, or as it gets away from us and somewhere in those those lines and you've always brought it back to being dedicated to the practice, dedicated to the teachings, and your ear for, for that is, is remarkable. You, you, you have a way of retaining the Dhamma that's just profound, and uh, you've always reflected that back to us. So uh, it's, I'm very grateful to have you as a friend and a teacher and Sangha mm -hmm. member, and yeah, it's just, it's just great to see. So thank you so thank much, you, Kevin. It's great to see you here. <laughs> um, well, I'm glad that I have a Dhammic practice before I met you and was had already abandoned envy because um, you're you're like the you know the the piano player that just has that affinity for for this practice that you are just you just took to it and were in the stream fully immersed and were an inspiration to you know all of us even the ones who've been here for a long time yeah. um, and you know you are the the constant practitioner who is always what's the sutta with the arrow and the guy who makes the arrow and he straightens his, oh, his yeah, the, arrow. What do you call the guy that makes the Fletcher? Fletcher. Fletcher. You're Fletcher. like the Fletcher that's constantly straightening the mind, straightening the mind, straightening the mind. It's about, you do it for everyone, so thank you. Thank you, Jim. <clears throat> thank you, thank you. Rob. Ah, David. Um, boy, it's been quite some years that I first saw you here. Um, and uh, it's just been such a pleasure to, to watch you jump in here and um, absorb and then give back um, in, in such a 
a straight and, and clear way. Uh, everything that's ever come out of your mouth here in, in, the, in the Sangha has always been, has always had this quality of, you know, like a sharp tool. Um, and it's, it's just been wonderful to, to watch that. Uh, I noticed in the beginning that, that um, uh, <clears throat> you were a bit resistant to, to speak. Um, and and I've, I've seen that, that um, reluctance kind of fall away. And, and probably as you were getting your footing in, in the Dharma, it, it, I, I could see it how it was easier to then speak up and, and um, give back, basically, uh, to everyone here. It's, it's been it's been a real pleasure. I've been waiting for this uh, for this day for quite a long time. You know, I knew you were you were heading this way, um, and you took your time. And I think you you're you're here as a as a as a real teacher. Thank you. Thank you, Mary. Would you like to say a few words? Um, you don't have to. I know I'm putting you on the spot. <laughs> No, I'm very happy for David and what he's achieved and what he's, um, you know, dedicated. David's a very good student uh, and reader um, once he gets on a trail of something. So um, this just suits him uh, very well. And I'll keep it short because the last place that David wants to be is in front of the room. People talking about him. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Man. Does anybody else like to? Was anyone else like to talk about David for a little while? <laughs> so um, David's bio is on the website with the other teachers. I think you all know where that, you know, that page is. Uh, he, he wrote he wrote a, a wonderful bio uh, introducing himself and his uh, email address associated with him as a Dhamma teacher is there too. You can email him directly tonight after class. Um, and so uh, David's fulfilled all the requirements of becoming a Dhamma teacher at becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center. If anybody's interested, those are all on the website. Um, as a teacher, it, it's, uh, it, it's not about preferences, but you can't help but notice some people take to the Dhamma um, more readily than others. Um, and David's certainly one of those. Um, I think David's the first one, and not, not that this is you know, a momentous occasion, we've only been taking teachers on for the last couple of years, but I think David's the first one that we actually asked to be a teacher. Is that, David didn't ask us to be a teacher, mm -hmm. is what I'm saying. Mm -hmm. the, yeah. the, the five of us, right, four, mm -hmm. before David, we kind of just got it all at once one day, I think, you know, was, and we talked about it a little bit, some, mm -hmm. some of our teachers' meetings that we have about every month or six weeks, and then we finally just kind of agreed all at once that David's got to be a teacher, he's qualified, and so here we are. So David, we are. do you take refuge in the human Buddha, in his authentic Dhamma, in a well-focused and well-informed Sangha? Yes, I do. Congratulations and welcome to uh, Becoming Buddha Cross River Meditation Center and as our newest Dhamma teacher. Thank you, John. David, here, do this first. <laughs>
I've never used it. Here's this. David. <laughs> if you master that, then you are a true master. Have you used a trackpad before? As opposed Use to a mouse? Just point, just point your finger in the mouth that the uh, cursor will move wherever you want it to. Thank you. Thank oh, you. I forgot to say hello to Ryan. Hi, Ryan. Sorry I didn't say hello to you. <laughs> oh, is that our Ryan? Yeah. Hey, Ryan. John. Uh, today's the 21st class of the 32 classes. Uh, first, we'll meditate. And now is the time to meditate. With eyes closed and breathing through your nose, now is the time to set mindfulness <coughs> and the breath and the body and do jhana. Find your relaxed meditate posture. Hold your back straight, but not stiff. Your ears aligned with your shoulders. Your nose aligned with your navel. Holding yourself softly, gently, lovingly. Allow yourself to settle into this room. Settle onto your seat. Settle into your body. And settle into your mind. Notice the sensation of breathing <coughs> in your body. Become mindful of your inhalation and exhalation, your in-breath and your out-breath. While remaining mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath, notice that feelings arise and thoughts are flowing. We are sensitive and conscious beings. Feelings arise and thoughts flow. The purpose of meditation is to increase concentration and not be distracted by the rising and passing away of feelings <coughs> and thoughts. Notice the rising and passing away of your breath in your body. When you find that you are caught up in your thinking, simply acknowledge the distraction, return your mindfulness to your breathing. Relaxing your thoughts, remaining mindful of the rising and passing away of your breath in your body, and we will continue to meditate for 20 minutes with callbacks every five minutes. When you are ready, you can gently open your eyes. David, before you begin, I'm sorry, I forgot one hmm? important thing. Yes. Your certificate. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so Thank you. Get it hung up. Didn't leave me here, we'll get it hung up. Greatly appreciated and with much gratitude. From here, too. When I started my practice, it was purely an intellectual wrestle, wrestling match of trying to understand everything, and a struggle with just trying to sit, and with that mind that uh, trying to solve problems while I'm sitting, and trying to wrestle how to do it correctly. And this sutta is a good example of what your practice is. And oftentimes with this study, you also hear what your practice isn't. And I think that's as equally important. It, it tells you that this is a fabricated thing we're doing, this jhana. It's fabricated. It's not, we're sitting here in seclusion. But it's a 
it's a constructive fabrication. It's a, it's a skillful fabrication. And I, I think that's one of the things where when I used to hear these jhana, I would ignore them. I was like, I don't get this jhana stuff because no one I wasn't good at it. And I'm going to think my way through this. And then I realized that just look at some of the words and you know, the Buddha's his instructions are very clear and Ananda does a very good job here and last week if anyone didn't listen to last week and didn't read it read that sutta that, that's I've seen this uh, the study and other studies where John oftentimes flips this sutta with last week's sutta and I, I, I found it interesting how he flipped it this time and it makes sense. Sariputta is this example, this great example of how to do jhana. And uh, I think this week's is a good example of Ananda doing a great job teaching, but maybe the student, Dasama, maybe not quite gotten it, even though he was, his question was posed in absolute right view. So, this week's teaching is the uh, Atta Ka Nagara Sutta. That's a mouthful. Mm-hmm. There's a few words in here like that. On one occasion, Venerable Ananda was at Velavuva Gamaka near Vasali. At the same time, a householder, Tasama, from Atta Ka Nagara was nearby in Pataliputta on business. I should get a certificate just for those words. <laughs> I, think I always love reading the sutras. Yes. It sounds like I know Polly. Just a quick, when I was trying to understand these words, I looked for John's past ones just to get a sense of how to say the words. And there was this... You're using me on the Well, I have trouble with English. The, the first one that I saw was a very old monk. Uh, he must have been a Theravadan. And he went through these words and he literally at one point said oh boy and he did it a second time years later and he had edited out all those words to you know make it simple but I will persevere <laughs> completing his business Sama went to Kukata Monastery to ask a certain monk where is Venerable Ananda staying I would like to see him the monk told him where Ananda was, and Sama left immediately for Valufa Gamaka. Upon meeting Ananda, Sama bowed to one side. He had he had a question for Ananda. And listen to this question because it is absolutely in right view. It's it, it, he asked the right question. Venerable Sir, is there a single quality taught by the Buddha to be developed? So the unreleased mind of a Dhamma practitioner who is mindful, ardent, alert, and resolute in the Dhamma would attain release and security from the yoke of clinging to views rooted in ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. That's absolutely right view. And as, as a practitioner, we should ask those questions. We should challenge each other, but always keep it in the view in right view because anything outside of right view is really just 
it's not going to get to the answer. It's not going to get to the answer of how to solve for the problem of suffering. So, Venerable Sir, there is a single quality taught by the Buddha to be developed that unreleased mind of a Dhamma practitioner who is mindful, ardent, alert, and resolute in the Dhamma would attain release and security from the yoke of clinging to views rooted in ignorance of the Four Noble Truths. Ananda answers, yes, there is, friend of the Dhamma. When a Dhamma practitioner, secluded from sensuality and other unskillful qualities, enters and remains in the first jhana, the first jhana is experienced as rapture born of that very seclusion, is accompanied by directed thought and evaluation. Now, we've all struggled with when you first sat, and that, that mind that is distracted by everything, but you also find that joy of seclusion to get away from the world for 20 or 30 minutes and you know, find yourself calm. And that's what you want off the cushion, but there's work to be done. It's accompanied by directed thought, which is you're directing yourself to into that seclusion. Evaluation, at first, I found, was brutally judgmental. I was harsh on myself. I was, I'm not doing this right. Uh, why am I doing this? But evaluation is really necessary, but it should be dispassionate. It should be gentle. John often says, be gentle with yourself. That's what that means with this evaluation. So, another thing that John always points out, rapture is an old-fashioned word. It's really joyful engagement, and that's what it is. It's, it, it, it is joyful to be secluded, and then start getting control over your mind, because that's really what you're, you're doing. You're, you're riding this Bronco, and you're going to be on it until you calm yourself enough to, you know, be able to start integrating it with the rest of the Eightfold Path. Ananda continues, and this is a, a refrain that he continues with each of the uh, the jhanas. And uh, this was what really kind of changed my practice, uh, because it just teaches you that all things are impermanent. Despite the pleasure of this first jhana, they understand this first jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to sensation. That's a confusing concept right there, that this very skillful thing that we're doing is, number one, fabricated. And it took me years to understand that you need skillful fabrications. We're taking ourselves out of the world plopping ourselves down and creating this this environment to be calm. That's just absolutely can't be anything other than fabricated and impermanent. It's but it's skillful. Uh, Ananda is saying that uh, also that and this is really John's commentary that it just is telling Dasama that there's more to be done. And uh, I thought that was an interesting uh, 
addition to uh, the thought that it's fabricated and permanent. It's for a purpose that there is a deeper level of of absorption. As they continue meditation, they enter and remain in the second jhana. The second jhana is experienced as rapture and pleasure born of concentration. Free from directed thought and evaluation, the joy of concentration permeates the, the entire mind and body. So it's just... It, I think one of the problems with being a Western practitioner is we're so goal-oriented. Goal I'm good with the first jhana. I'm on to the second. And I, I always thought that it, it was steps. But it really is just a flow. And each one flows in itself and it flows back. And I think as a Western <coughs> practitioner, we've... It, We've got to overcome those like goal-oriented approaches to everything, but certainly your jhana practice. Uh, despite the pleasure of the second jhana, they understand this second jhana is fabricated and permanent and subject to sensation. I would also note that during this jhana, I often see the absence of the hindrances that I'm not trying to solve the problems of the world at this point, that there's no ill will, there's no craving, there's no, I'm not being lazy. It's absent of, of that. It's absent of doubt. So, I, 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 again, it's preparing you to be off the cushion. This, what this is all about is being off the cushion. You will not find enlightenment on a cushion. You will find enlightenment and awakening off the cushion. And I, and I believe that's the whole point of this, these instructions of over and over again saying that this is fabricated. This is something that you're using as a tool in your developing. Continuing meditation, they enter and remain in the third jhana, which is equanimous and mindful of pleasant abiding. With the fading of rapture, this pleasant abiding permeates their entire mind and body. Despite the pleasure of the third jhana, they understand this third jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to sensation. Again, it's the same refrain each time. Deeper and deeper, you're sitting, you're no longer judging anything, you're just experiencing, you're aware of this pleasure, but it's not a pleasure of of grasping, it's just you're aware of it. Continuing meditation, they enter and remain in the fourth jhana, which is pure equanimity and mindful. Being pure, neither pleasure nor pain is seen. They sit permeated in mind and body with pure, bright awareness. And even this, despite the pleasure of this fourth jhana, they understand this fourth jhana is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. John describes this as sensitive to pleasure. So you're just aware of that ple pleasure, but you're not grasping after it. It's like this 
think Lorna used to say it was in the background, or she described it as a different layer, a different level. And I always thought that you always point that out, even to this day, you, you point that out. But it goes deeper. As concentration deepens, the mind is unbound, spacious, free of confining yoke of ignorance. They're imbued with unlimited goodwill, with compassion, with epithetic joy, their mind resting in equanimity. Even so, this Dhamma practitioner understands that this release through goodwill, compassion, empathetic joy, and equanimity is fabricated, impermanent, and subject to cessation. Remaining well concentrated, they reach the end of the defilements, greed, aversion, and delusion. If they, if they do not reach the ending of the defilements right then and there, through their continued right effort, the lower five fetters will fall away. Fetters are these shackles, these mental shackles that really, again, hinder you and keeps you stuck to the cycle of samsara. Uh, the five are self-identification, grasping at rituals and practice, doubt and uncertainty, sensual craving, and deluded thinking. Furthermore, having abandoned self-identification with form, having abandoned aversion, having abandoned self-reference, now here, now there, they enter and remain in the perception of infinitude, of space, the dimension of infinite consciousness, then the dimension of infinite nothingness, and then to the dimension of neither perception nor non-perception. I have no idea what any of that means. <laughs> I don't think I'll ever bump into it. And if I do, you know what it is. I know what to do with it. It's something to understand that it, it's arisen and it's going to pass away. And quite honestly, it's not part of my life and it's not going to lead to anything but distraction. It's not a place to, you know, it's not real. It's not, it's not here and now. It's somewhere where you're trying to take yourself and solve your problem by escaping this body and that's not what I'm here for I'm here to figure out how to go down the street and not be reactive to what I used to be reactive to so I believe these were all practices of the time uh, so I think maybe at that point that was a something that they had addressed in the Sangha that they had to you know, help these people with from all different backgrounds and all different practices, and that was probably a goal that was useful. But the Buddha and his main disciples of uh, Sariputta discarded them. They they weren't they weren't coming up with the the answer to suffering. They were coming up with an escape plan that may have found some limited relief but in the end they discarded him Nanda continues even here they understand that any phenomenon connected to the five clinging aggregates form, feeling, perception, fabrications and consciousness is impermanent stressful, a disease painful, an infliction and as such anatta, not self this is John's commentary I thought I plucked that from his introduction 
anyone who didn't read that long introduction, and there's actually one uh, taping where he he reads it all out, I suggest you read it. It's, it's outstanding, and I just plucked this part out because it fit with uh, you know these four fabricated realms. The sequencing of the additional descriptions of non-physical meditative experiences that follow the description of the four jhanas should not be seen as advanced levels of meditation as is commonly presented, certainly not as levels of meditative achievement. The Buddha dismissed these doctrines of his early teachers, Alara Kalama and Uddaka Ramaputta. Ananda continues, <coughs> disregard these phenomena and incline their mind to the sensation of ignorance. Nothing remains to be provoked, the becoming of further ignorance and the birth of continued suffering. They will enter into pure, bright awareness, a pleasant abiding, totally unbound from clinging to wrong views, never to lose their mind again. This, my friend, is the single quality taught by the Buddha to be developed so the unreleased mind of a Dhamma practitioner who is mindful, ardent, alert, and resolute in the Dhamma would attain release and security from the yoke of clinging to views rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Upon hearing these words, Dasama remarked, Venerable Ananda, it is as if a Dhamma practitioner who was seeking a single opening in, onto treasure and all at once realized eleven openings. To treasure. In the same way, I was seeking a single doorway to the ending of all fabrications. All at once, you taught me 11 doorways I can take, all leading to a single point of sensation from fabricated views. Venerable Ananda, all true teachers deserve a fee. I will pay homage to you. Dasama then gathered the sanghas from Vasali and Patamaputta and prepared a feast for him. He gave a pair of cloths to each Sangha member and a triple robe to Ananda. He then built a dwelling for Venerable Ananda. The end of the sutta. So John identifies the 11 doorways in the sutta as the four levels of jhana, the four fabricated realms, and the three marks of existence. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, John, but... I think that Dasama's con conclusion, despite Venable Ananda's very detailed description, is off. It's just he, he has created this 11-doorway path. And I don't believe there's 11 doorways. I believe there's a doorway, a doorway of jhana meditation. And in there, you'll see the insight that is gained by understanding the three marks of existence. So I, even though he poses question in right view, he's looking for more. He's looking, he, he's seeing those four other doorways as something to pursue, something to attain, where I think when you see Ananda say, discard these, he doesn't say that about the other jhanas. He says... They're fabricated, they're impermanent, and subject to sensation. But he goes out of his way and says, discard these. These are things that we've all pursued and found that 
when you see them, be aware of them. And Jen, who taught me from another uh, version of this, you ask that very question. These 11 doorways, these fabricated realms of... And, and you had the same question, I'm sure, that everyone has. That Are we to pursue these? or we, And John's answer was, be aware of them. Mm-hmm. And... You know, understand that they are, are to be something to be seen as arising and passing away. And but it's interesting how they kept that in here, or you kept that in here. So, uh, but you also don't see Ananda reacting to this. No, well, that's what I, I was like. Is that Ananda's level of understanding? Ananda just sort of threw up his hands. In, in, in he didn't correct him. He didn't. Yeah. He didn't admonish him, but is that just... And so what is, it, what is he exampling there by not really not yeah. saying a word? He's saying that, yes, that's right. These are just ordinary things that arise. The 11, yeah. giving something a name can sometimes, will often make it unique or special in that context. Mm-hmm. And so Dasama made it unique and special. And Ananda getting back to him saying the 11 is just the 11. There's, they're, they're just temporary states that arise and pass away and it, you did this so beautifully David and it relates directly to the topic of fabrication and I don't, I don't think I've ever explained it as well as you that uh, the Eightfold Path is a fabrication and some people have a hard time and they kind of latch on to that how can the Eightfold Path be a fabrication when you're looking at something as your salvation it could seem like well I don't want a fabrication to save my butt but of course you're looking at it wrong Mm. And if you're looking at the Savior, but then you do need something that's salvific. In this case, we're not looking for that. We're looking for understanding. We're looking for a way of developing. Who? How, how do I know what I am, who I am in this world that I'm living in? Where do I gain that understanding? Through an eightfold path. And why is it fabricated? Well, it has to be fabricated because it's addressing a fabrication. The 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 eightfold path itself and. I don't know that I could have explained it this way without your explanation just now, David. The Eightfold Path itself was fabricated by a human being known as Siddhartha Gautama as a response and a reaction to what he recognized in his own mind in the Nagara Sutta. It was put together by him to address something else that was put together, the fabrications in his mind. So in that way, of course it's fabricated. But that also leads to something that's important to understand as Dharma practitioners and again, you touched on this, and people really understanding dependent origination. Fabrications aren't bad. They're not evil. They're not Lucifer. They're not the devil. They're not wrong. What are fabrications? What are fabrications, David? Fabrications are just these creations that we make to support our ego self. Yep, and no matter how grand they might be, such as a thousand mm-hmm. bows before I wake up, or a million visualizations of Agalakatishvara, whatever else it might be, that's all fabrication too. All of it. So what is the Buddha teaching by saying, let go of all that crazy fabrication and just develop this fabrication? He's taking that mind that is constantly distracted and introducing jhana. He's introducing concentration in a system, a system rooted in fabrication that is prone to distraction. That's what David points out. It's just this. And you said it in a few different ways that were just brilliant, especially that part about 
the Dhamma itself is a fabrication. So, um, and beyond that, David, you really did a you did a beautiful mm -hmm. job, and you have such a great presentation. Uh, I look forward to hearing you teach me well into the future, as long as I can. Thank you very Thank you, much for everything, for your commitment sure. and being here. Go online first. Uh, Anthony? Hi, can you hear me, David? Uh, it, it's kind of... Yeah, that's about as good as it gets out of this little... Yes. I'm going to buy some external speakers for it. Okay. Well, um, so I'm, I don't want to yell, so i just say that I'm, I'm really honored to be here, especially tonight with David's first talk, and it was wonderful true to the soul, um, from the heart, sincere, really good, David. Thank you. And uh, I, I want to try to get here more often because I miss these precious moments too much. We miss you. Thank miss you, you too. Thank you. Hi, Ryan. Hello. Um, thank you for that uh, discussion, that discourse. Um, I have nothing, nothing particularly to add, but uh, th thanks again. John, are you just listening? Uh, well, I was just listening, but I want to thank David. Uh, it was a good presentation. I enjoyed it. And as you said, John, I mean, I hadn't thought before about the noble truths being fabrications, but indeed they are. Thank you for that. Thanks, John. Thanks for joining tonight. Ron? <sighs> when I first got my, my teacher's certificate. Um, you paid me a, a really wonderful compliment at the time. And, um, I, and I said at the time that, uh, you know, I would see you one day mm. in that seat. And I'm, I'm very happy that you are here now. And uh, I'm Your way of teaching is, is just great. Um, I have I have nothing to add. It's your teacher. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for the teaching, David. Um, I agree. I would I I would say everything that you said about your understanding of the genres has been my experience as well. So I really, that really resonated with me. And I love what you said at the end about how you have no idea what any of that means. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. Um, there's a subtle message here from Ananda, which is that fabrications are always happening in the mind. Not a choice to fabricate. The choice is to do jhana and observe the fabrications with a non-reactive mind and you you brought that out when you talked about how 
we want to achieve. So, especially initially, you're learning this, you can think fabrication bad, no fabrication good. Um, doing a good job if I'm not fabricating, I'm doing a bad job if I am fabricating, and and uh, it's not that. It's it's. I don't need to avoid fabrication. I just need to observe it, the non-reactive mind, because it's going on all the time, even when I'm doing shaman. Yeah. I guess don't cling. <laughs> Is that the key? <laughs> Thank you. Kevin David, my friend, uh, thank you for that talk. Um, really appreciate how you added clarity to um, this is sort of a, an abstract talk and you know circle back on the question John had, you know, how, how do we know the Eightfold Path is fabricated? Because it's held in our mind and, and that flips back onto, you know, right <coughs> mindfulness. What's the right thing to hold in mind as the Buddha instructs sure. the Eightfold Path? Um, you know, when we see and, and back to what Jen was just saying, you know, fabrications, what are fabrications? It's, it's thoughts, you know, thoughts are going to arise. It's, it's skillful to notice them arising and to not follow the tendency or as, as this talk shows, to, to take us out of this experience and put ourselves in a non-physical realm or you know, preceptor practice or a dogmatic view or a hardened view, that leads to confusion, delusion, and stress. So you, you did a really wonderful job of showing us the way towards cultivating right mindfulness. And, and that's through jhana practice, through taking your time with the Dhamma, being gentle with ourselves, mm -hmm. and beautiful teaching, David. Thank you Thank so you. much. And I think the lost uh, concentration factor is uh, Ram brought this up on one of these past of this version of right effort you know that you're, you're cultivating wholesome qualities and you're aware when they're there and they're not there and same with unwholesome qualities and those three things are allowing you to then have this the virtuous factors and you're developing right restraint. And it's this whole thing with jhana is it's, it's, it's so you can incorporate the entire Eightfold Path. And not to develop jhana, but to be dabbling in the other factors will just bring you, you know, disappointment. So. David, um, thank you for that teaching. And uh, what I hear in that teaching is your development of your mind, your mm -hmm. own jhana practice. So, thank you. Thank you. Mary? Um, very well done. I think um, the way you um, you know, personalized it. You were very transparent and you were speaking as a um, seasoned um, practitioner, but you were also speaking 
to the newer practitioners, which is kind and generous uh, component of your presentation. Um, it was very clear, um, and I think as with um, hearing each of the teachers, it provides new meaning or new perspective mm. that you know maybe you haven't heard before. So. Um, very proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for the teaching. Um, I too echo what everybody said, but you made it personal. And, um, I just want to go back a little bit to when I first met you mm. at the, the first retreat I went to. Um, from the get-go, I, I just said, David gets it. I mean, it was just so obvious to me. But more importantly, you know, by you talking to me, I came away with the feeling that I could get it too. And that's what a teacher, a good teacher does. Yeah, that was my second retreat. Yeah, well, even back then I could tell. Yeah. Uh -huh. so, so thank you. Thank you. That's been a, a good friend on those retreats. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Hello, I'm David. Mm -hmm. that's my I'm Mary. Um, thank you very much for your teaching tonight. Thank you. Hi, Tim. Really. Um, before I wanted to comment on the teaching, thank you very much for teaching. You know, just while I was listening to you, I just remember all the times that I've come here and you always would take no silence. And, and, uh, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. You know, I think we're fortunate that you're speaking and giving your wisdom and your insight to this topic, on this topic especially in genre, because it, it, it really was uh, very profound um, for me. Mm. Um, what I take away from what you were talking about um, is this subtle nuance of fabrications and the nuance really of equanimity in genre because I was envisioning dominoes and cause and effect, 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 and that is reaction. And that equanimity that you explained stops that cause and effect, stops that reaction. Well, there's no reaction, that's what equanimity really means. It doesn't it means non-reactiveness. And it doesn't matter if there's 11 doorways or 20 doorways or 50 doorways, it's a flow. And um, I think we've all been, well, again, it, it's, a, it's a very experiential, personal, introspective practice. I think that the Buddha states that in some of his many sutras about that. And so we all have our interpretations, we all have our way of understanding, sure. but really, in jhana, to me that equanimity is that contentment. I even have a hard time with the joyfulness aspect of it. I mean, that's just my deal, because I feel that there's a clinging aspect to it, a craving aspect to it. I, I tend to, to, to think of equanimity as a content of a non-reactiveness, whether of, of no joy 
the more not joy, just content. I, I would only say that because it's within the heartwood, that as you can say the same thing about fabrication, it's a skillful fabrication. It's a skillful joy, and you're not grasping after it. And that's, you know, I learned a lot when, the first time I taught because I've really read the words of, mm. of the, the suit that we shared. Yeah. And you know, it always goes back to, is it framed by the, yeah. the four noble truths? Therefore, it's okay to have joy, but you're not grasping at it. You're not clinging to this, these sense desires. So it's, it's released me from having to be judgmental on that, that aspect of, of that joy. And I, and I, get, I agree with you. Joy might be contentment. It might be a better word. It's, it's, a, it's, it's an individual. Yeah. It's my deal. It's mine. But yeah. it's interesting that, that the nuance of it being an introspective practice, mm. you know, and you just explained it very well, very concisely. It was well done, and I really appreciated the, uh, the, the sutta and the lesson for this. So thank you, Dean. Thank you. Thank you. There's something that we have to recognize, too, in Dhamma practice that um, we have to use. The words that we use to communicate, and none, there, there's no—I'm not a, a linguist by any means. I'm not a student of language, but I've yet to come across the perfect language. That one word has the perfect description of whatever we're talking about. It's just not like that. So even something like joy, um, maybe a better word would be contentment, because discontent is dukkha, contentment is awakening. So there's a correlation there. Um, but there's also um, the calling. Uh, a description of rapture as it relates to the Dhamma as joyful engagement just describes the the inner um, feeling of the intention towards Dhamma practice and so we can get caught up that joy is something that I want that I need to have, I need to be, always have joy I used to have a teacher that said we should always be focused on joy, and he was a great teacher not a Dhamma teacher, but that was what he taught and so when we have that mindset, almost look pretty stupid walking, talking when you say that. So when we go in with that mindset that joy is good, I need joy. When I hear someone teach me about joyful engagement, I can't help but have a reaction, and then make the subtle connection. Well, wait a minute, aren't I grasping after joy by being enraptured with the Dhamma? And that's when we start playing games with ourselves. That's not even a valid question, because the question is, are you engaging in Dhamma practice or not? That's what they've been taught. It's either Dhamma practice or it's not. It could be fabrication, because fabrication is always in Dhamma practice. John, the, John that's online here said something, and it's a, again, it, um, it's a fine line here, calling to the Four Noble Truths fabricated. They are, but we, we gotta be careful that we're not applying the label fabrication to diminish and important something. Everything is fabricated. But the, these Four Noble Truths have, are called noble because they are singularly important. The fact that they're fabricated doesn't diminish their, their singular importance. So, thank you. What a great discussion is going on here. Okay. I think I, I think I started teaching the class. That's okay. Accidentally. <laughs> I could use the help. Oh, you don't, you don't need it. Great teaching. Uh, love the way you pre present. Um, you have a very 
easy going away, easy going way of making everyone feel comfortable in the class, and it's uh, it's inviting. It really is. It's uh, it's just if if the dhamma is could be a, a level of uh, comfort, then that's what you bring to it. Our understanding of it. So I appreciate that. Um, just to touch on a couple of things. Um, what John was saying uh, just now, and not to go off on the sidebar on this, but like fabrications, yes, the way I perceive fabrications and the way I under understand them to be is they're either from right view or from wrong view. Right view, fabrications are always going to occur. Uh, skill, looking at things or, or from uh, a, a skillful, skillful perspective uh, enables me to understand, uh, again, right view from wrong view. If I'm, in, if I'm embracing fabrications or if my mind and my body are becoming separated, so to say, then, then my, I'm not in a skillful place. I'm engaging and entangling. Whereas if I'm in right view, I understand fabrications as, they, as for just what they are. They are that which arise and pass away. Mm. Uh, and leading into that now, I get from this, this sutta here as the previous sutta that we had read on, a, on Saturday. It wasn't Saturday, I guess it was Saturday. But like, what I had gotten from that was, and you had mentioned David, and I get like from jhana, impermanence. I know there's, there's four different levels of jhana, and uh, but like the overall, the overall uh, lesson I think I'm, I'm getting from from jhana is that impermanence, and it comes down to the daily, the the, the forever, not for the, uh, the, the every moment we breathe in and out, we are reminded of the arising and the passing away of of who we are and what we are and of all things that are impermanent. And that's the understanding from there. And that passes on through, down through the aggregates and who we are and how we perceive ourselves. And that's all arises and passes away. Uh, the one other thing I just want to you know, bring up uh, again was in the previous sutta when Sutta, uh, Saraputta remained free, and third, uh, referring to the third jhana, Saraputta remained free of attraction or aversion in regard to these qualities. He remained independent, detached, released, dis disassociated, dissociated, I say, and free of any barriers arising from attraction or aversion. So attraction or aversion is name and form, is what how we name things, and they, 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 they form who we are, basically our likes and our dislikes. Mm. So that concentration, and this is where you, you had uh, actually so nicely put, it's fine to experience it on the cushion, but then when we're out in, the, in society and in our lives, this is where it comes into play. So if we can get a handle on that attraction 
and aversion and realize as those are distractions to our understanding greater, then that's a point where we can, as moment by moment unrolls before us, we can make decisions that are skillful mm -hmm. once we recognize that. So that's what I had gotten out at, and that's where I, I think uh, this, the uh, jhana leads us to. Without, with a, with a handle on attraction and aversion at that point, the phenomenal world breaks down that we create in our own minds. There's clarity and there's a clarity and in, uh, in a, a calmness in being when we're not being pulled in all different directions by following our fabrications. So that's basically what I got out of everything. And also a little uh, a lot there, but <laughs> come down on Mike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant, Michael. Yeah, yeah. Really, really good. Okay. Thank you, David, for for a beautiful uh, lesson and um, I too felt like like Tim the one thing that I I remember when I first came here was that you always took noble silence but when you did speak I always listened because I always knew that it was it was, it was in right speech yeah I... always yes always in right speech and uh, always with, with profound profoundness I often take noble silence because I often feel like I'm just gabbing so <laughs> Yeah. So, I, I'm like, all, I took my right speech. I took my turn during the class. I'm not gonna take up other people's time. Well, I felt like you were a good role model because uh, okay, it good. made me actually realize not to just, you know, shoot, shoot the breeze and only speak when I had something important to say or when I had some kind of insight. Mm. So, thank you for that. That that actually is a good thing. Um, I just wanted to make one short comment because I know we've already had. You know, and I'm like the last person. But um, when I was reading these these levels, where 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 they started speaking about the treasures, of course I thought, wow, this sounds really cool. What what are these level eleven gates? And I started looking at uh, and thinking about the genre meditation, and I started realizing that he did say here where he's saying having abandoned self-identification with form and having abandoned aversion, having abandoned self-reference, now here and now there, so being present. Then they entered into these four levels. We really can't understand these levels because th these levels are pure being. Um, it's beyond our understanding because we're still probably self-identifying with things. And these levels are so sublime and so pure that we will enter them, or maybe we have in jhana meditation. But still, even though these are levels, they all will cease to exist when consciousness ceases to exist. And so there is no reason to really dwell on any of these levels. Just do jhana, that's it. Well, but, uh, again, I don't mean to interrupt you, and I'm certainly not arguing, but just, just for why they're taught. Exactly. To right. acknowledge that you're Just that to you're acknowledge them, so you, yeah. Yeah, so you can recognize them, yeah. and then, the so Buddha you can understand said, to let them go. Yeah, he, Buddha said you got to learn concentration, and mm -hmm. this is how you know you're doing it. Exactly. You're doing it correctly. This is like a roadmap, so you can actually tell. No, I mean, I think, think, think about the brain for that. From 2,600 years ago, this guy's still teaching right here, right now, because of how he taught. That that what, what Julie is picking up on. That's 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 Siddhartha Ji's instructions. It's not. It didn't just happen, you know. It, I mean, I, it's just brilliant. That, it is brilliant. That, a simple I mean, direction like that, you know. So, yeah. I'm sorry, Julie. Thank no, you. No, no, no. Thank you. So that that's one thing I want to say. I don't know if that's true, but what I 
my no. interpretation of it, but that's what I what I thought I saw. It sounded like it would be it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so thank you, thank you, David. Thank you. <laughs> Before we go on, I have a little something over there that I'd like to present. Is it chocolate? It's not. It's Almost as good. <laughs> it's um, it's a little tradition that we've come up with. And well, we should say it. it's a little tradition that we all agree with, but Ron came up with it. Yeah. He does all the work, and we get to take all the credit. You get to take all the credit. And it's, it's a symbolic gift because... It, um, it reminds us that uh, when the Buddha sent his bhikkhus out into the world to interface, to interact with the community, to beg for their food, um, he required them to give a small teaching. Yeah. And my feeling is that that was not so much for the the good of the burgers, but that it was there that, that the instruction was given for the good of the beacons, so that they would be forced to deepen their understanding of the Dharma by teaching it to others. So I'd like to present you with your very own begging bowl. Oh jeez. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> And it comes with a card and something to eat your rocky road with. <laughs> Mary, you don't have to cook any more meals at home. <laughs> Thank you so much. This is a wonderful gift. I'm not a great gift receiver, and uh, this means everything. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Ron. I, you know, I got a story with everything. I got to tell a quick story, but uh, because it also relates to, to David as, if, if you looked up Right Effort in the Merriam-Webster, you'd see David's picture because he's always been like that with Right Effort. Right next to Rom. Next, next to Rom. Yeah, I know we got <laughs> one A and one B. Yeah. Um, and so, and you heard me say on retreat, uh, not all of you are on retreat, about the inspiration for the Buddha's Dhamma came out of something that I just used the word hope that I think every human being has. And it's, you know, just again, just to use the word, <coughs> thinking of, uh, of Siddhartha and the life he was living, a prince, etc. everything, he got everything he wanted, and still life, just to use the word, sucked. And he looked for something else. He looked for something that was meaningful to fill his vessel of himself. Years ago, I had a teacher, and some of you heard me talk about Uncle George. And he taught me something as an, an, an exchange, one of the most profound things. Uncle George was a true kahuna, meaning that's not a silliness from pop culture, really, he was a serious man. Anyway, um, the most important thing and the most significant thing you could ever give a teacher is a wooden bowl, in Hawaiian tradition, it's koa, an empty bowl. And the idea behind giving someone an empty bowl is, may your bowl always be filled with light. That guy is always filled with light. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Great job. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. Shall we end with what we always end with? Meta, let's yeah. do it. Find your positions. This is the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what one should be done.
by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and, not, and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that, would, that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, or many none, the great or the mighty, medium, short, or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none, through anger or ill will, wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection, that this is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you, Thank you everyone. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.